we're going to dig into one of those chapters. I mean, there are some chapters that you look at and you're going to, uh, you know, you just go, wow, I expect that to run me over. I just look at that and I think, wow, that is so for me. Uh-oh. And then there are other chapters you read and you go, what? What? And in comfortably, this is one of those chapters. This is definitely one of the most PG, uh, you know, rated 12 sections of our scripture. And for some of you, maybe that is what will interest you the most. Um, but in all of that, we actually have something really, really fun to draw from it. But so I don't want you to think we're making any of this up. So raise your hand if you don't have a Bible and open it up, please, to the Gospel of Genesis chapter 38, please. Um, hands go up. Bibles go out. Genesis, even if you're brand new to the Bible, you can look like an expert. It's the first book. Genesis means beginning. That should be your first clue. I'm going to read through part of the chapter, and then we'll pick it up, um, sort of building on that. It says this, and, and go ahead, and why don't we stand while we read this? Not because we're creating a new, you know, history or whatever, a new tradition, but just because, oh goodness sakes, you're going to be sitting long enough. Now after the message, of course, you'll have an opportunity to sing praises, you'll be able to sing your guts out. So, here's what it says in chapter 38, verse 1. It came to pass at that time that Judah departed from his brothers and visited a certain Adulamite whose name was Hira. Would you say Hira? Hira. That wasn't bad. Judah saw that there um, saw there a daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua. Would you say Shua? Shua. Nice job. And he married her and went into her, and she conceived and bore a son, and he named and notice he called his name Ur. Can you say Ur? Yes, obviously this is our first pirate in Scripture, right here. <laughs> she conceived again and bore a son, and she called his name Onan, the barbarian, of course. Onan, could you say Onan? Onan. And she conceived and yet bore another, bore a son, and she called his name Shelah. Would you say Shelah? Shelah. So you have three sons, Ur, Onan, and Shelah. Or as some would say in the South, Sheila, which really is rough because it's a guy. And that just, I have a hard time getting past that. Um, some of you, you know that even in your country, Sheila means girl, like it's a slang word for girl. So it's Sheila for what it's worth. He was at Chizib. Can you say Chizib? Now wipe the spit off the person in front of you. He was at Chizib when she bore him. Now, Judah took a wife for Er, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. Could you say Tamar? See, look at you get all the hard ones, right? Tamar, by the way, is kind of a fun one. Tamar means palm tree. And maybe she was tall and thin and wore big round coconuts for earrings and maybe had big green hair or something. Maybe she was from Camden, you know? <laughs> so they named her Tamar, you know? There you go. Well, she took a wife. Her name was Tamar, verse 7. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord killed him. Ha <laughs> ha! And now, think about that for a moment while we go to this commercial. Now, you're already probably thinking, what? Judah said to Onan, go into your brother and marry and wife, uh, brother's wife and marry her and raise up her, uh, an heir for your brother. You might say, huh? Again. Onan knew that the heir would not be his. It came to pass when he went to his brother's wife that he admitted on the ground lest he should give an heir to his brother. And probably at this point you're thinking, what in the world? For which you would have a right to say. Verse 10. The thing in which he did displease the Lord, and therefore he killed him also. Boy, you think of this is a fun chapter. Verse 11. Then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, Remain a widow in your father's house till my son Shelah is grown. He said, well, lest she, he also die like his brothers. And Tamar went and dwelt in her father's house. And in the process of time, the daughter... Um, <clears throat> The daughter of Shua, Judah's wife, died. And Judah was comforted. He went up to his sheep shears in Timnah. He and his friend, Hira the Adulamite. Remember him? We met him at the beginning of the chapter. And it was said to Tamar, Look, your father-in-law is going up to Tamar, uh, Timnah sorry, to shear his sheep. She took off her widow's garments, covered herself with a veil, and wrapped herself, and sat in the open place which was on the way to Timnah. So she saw that Shelah was grown, and she had, was not given to him as a wife. 
When Judah saw her, he thought she was a harlot because she had covered her face. A bit ironic, don't you think? She covers herself up and he thinks she's a prostitute. Yeah, I was waiting for you to get that. By the way, that whole original idea of that where all you see is the eyes was prostitute for what it's worth. I just think that's a bit ironic. Anyways, he turned to her, by the way, and he said, please, let me come into you. What he's saying is, hey, are you open for business? And for he did not know that this was his daughter-in-law. She was his daughter-in-law. So she said, well, what will you give me that you may come into me? Well, this isn't for free, buddy. Verse 17, he said, I'll give a young goat from the flock. And she said, will you give me a pledge till you send it? Now, before we even go any farther, I don't think there's probably a person in the room that doesn't go, wow, this really is an unusual chapter. And you're right. And there's the one thing, by the way, about Scripture is God doesn't pull any punches. He lets you know exactly what's going on. He doesn't have to lie and doll up stupid behavior. Verse 18 well, he said, you know, he said, well, what pledge shall I give you? She said, your signet, your cord, and your staff that's in your hand. And he gave them to her, and he went into her, and she conceived by him. So she arose and went away, and laid aside her veil, and put on the garments of her widowhood. And Judah sent the young goat by the hand of his friend, the Adulamite. Neat friend, right? Go pay the prostitute for me. What a buddy. To receive his pledge from the woman's hand, you know, go get my cord and my signet and my staff. But he didn't find her. Then he asked the men of that place, saying, Hey, where is that harlot who was openly by the roadside? And they said, There was no harlot in this place. So we returned to Judah and said, I cannot find her. Also, the men of the place said there was no harlot in this place. And Judah said, Well, let her take them for herself, lest we be shamed. Boy, it just gets better, doesn't it? We don't want to be ashamed. Let her keep the stuff. For I sent this young goat, and I have not found her. It came to pass after three months that Judah was told, saying, Tamar, your daughter-in-law has played the harlot. Furthermore, she is with child by harlotry. Judah said, Bring her out and let her be burned. Can you get any higher on the what-the-heck factor than you probably are at the moment? When she was brought out, she sent to her father-in-law, saying, Hey, Daddy-o. Well, that's loose. Forgive me on that. By the man to whom these things belong, I am with child. Dun, dun, dun. Where's the music when you need it? And she said, Please determine who these things are. Hey, you know, if you can tell me who these are, you can find out who the papa is. The signet, the cord, and the staff. Judah acknowledged them, and he said, She has been more righteous than I, because I didn't give her to Shelah, my son, and he never knew her again. I mean, in the sense he was never physical. He wasn't like, who are you again? It wasn't like he got Alzheimer's. He, he clearly wasn't. He was careful. He didn't, he didn't touch her again. Well, you know, I, I might as well say that. We've gone that far with this, right? It came to pass at the time for giving birth that, behold, twins were in a room. And so it was when she was giving birth that one put out his hand and waved. And the midwife took the scarlet thread and wrapped it around his hand, saying, well, that one came out first. Then it happened as he drew back his hand that his brother came out unexpectedly. She said, now how did you break through? So therefore, this breach be upon you. Therefore, they called his name Perez. Would you say Perez? Perez. What a difficult pregnancy this one is. Perez, by the way, means breakthrough. Yeah. Why do they name you breakthrough? Ask my mom. Oh, she's still in bed recovering. Afterward, his brother came out, the one with the scarlet thread in his hand, and, or on his hand. And so they called his name Zerah. Would you say Zerah? Zerah means the rising of light, for what it's worth. All right. What do you say? We pray and we have some fun. You're thinking, oh, I can't wait to see what Pastor Tony's going to do with this. I'm going to run out of here. No, I'm just kidding. All right. Lord, thank you that you are so good to, to put in Scripture before us honest behavior of people. This is not, I, I just can't imagine a bunch of bored people making up stories like this one and putting them in Scripture. Uh, Lord, especially when it's really a history of so much failure and so much grace from you. And yet, God, you are clearly in command and you show us, Lord, that we certainly don't have to be perfect, Lord, to have a call on our lives. And I'm really thankful for that. 
Uh, and Lord, I am sure we all are because that would have disqualified every one of us. And thank you, Lord, that you haven't demanded a perfect church. What makes it anything right is you. Perfect in your eyes, yes, by the blood of your son, Father. But Lord, we want to be right with you. And we don't want anything in this story of Judah's behavior to in any way emulate us. And Lord, just show us, take us to the deep things, the things that all of our eyes could be so opened that by the time we're done with this, we go, wow, that was so much more than I thought it was. Which at the moment may not be much for some of us, but for all of us, God, we need to be spoken to. We need to be addressed. We need to be personally ministered to. God, we came here for therapy. We came here to be filled. We came here to be encouraged, to be strengthened, Lord, to be challenged, to be corrected. Whatever it is, Lord, in our life that will make us more the person you designed us, created us, and reinvented us to be, God, we pray that you would do that work today. So, God, I know that I can't do that. So, Lord, immerse me in your spirit that I would disappear. Fill me with your spirit, God, so that you would, through me, speak. God, then pour your spirit upon all of us that our eyes would be open, our ears would be open, our hearts would be open, our minds would be open. God, for all of the languages here that we still would need to get past, Lord, that somehow by the power of your Holy Spirit, you can speak fluent them, even while my, the words out of my mouth come out in one language, American. Lord, yet in all of that, you can still speak English. And... Greek and Chinese and Italian and Portuguese and whatever else, God, you want to do. We just need to hear you. So please do that. So Lord, we commit this time. We deem every second we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. I would say this morning as I would any, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true. Because I say so, search the scriptures. Let the Bible always have the final say. Always let the Bible be. And anyone who says, by the way, that they're the authority over scripture, smile, wave, and run. Here's where we're at. Um, This is our one diversion from the story of Joseph. Last week we met a boy who was 17 years old who really kind of had it rough. He was God's chosen son. And yet, though being God's chosen son, his ten older brothers weren't as excited about that news as Joseph was. Dad favors him because he's the oldest of the one wife he loves. That already kind of goes, what? Yeah, he's got four of them. That tells you it's a bit of a dysfunctional family. But let's add to that. His two oldest brothers are, well, let's say it this way. His oldest brother actually slept with one of his stepmoms. That's weird. Then his next two brothers are homicidal maniacs. It's a little bit of a dysfunctional family. In all of this, by the time we left the last chapter, this young man, Joseph will be sold into slavery and sent over to Egypt. And he'll be, by the way, that comes at the recommendation of a man, one of those 12 brothers, and that brother's name is Judah. Judah's number four. So if you're looking at the right of the firstborn, the firstborn kind of lost it when he slept with his stepmom. The next two, when they murdered an entire city, kind of lost it. The next guy in line is Judah. By the way, Judah, for what it's worth, he sort of introduced in chapter 29 of Genesis as a woman who desperately wants love from her husband. Uh, and as, as she wants love for her, this, this gal, by the way, who was Judah's mom, Leah, she just wants to be loved by her husband. And so with each boy that's born, she thinks, well, surely my husband will love me now. The first one she names, see a son, now my husband will love me. The second, God has heard my cries, surely my husband will love me. The third, now my husband will be attached. I've given him three boys. His name's attached. Then the fourth, Judah, Judah, which means praise. By the way, it's from this name, Judah, that we get the term Jew today. It's a derivative of that term. And, and we really don't see much of that boy until last chapter when, when this boy, Joseph, comes into this place where these guys are, are tending flock. And as they're tending flock, they want to kill him. Now, I do find it interesting. If you remember, dad, Joseph's dad, Judah's dad, was a guy who, dis- who was a twin who deceived his dad by taking sheep goat and putting it on the back of his hands. Remember that? That's what he did with a goat. 
Interesting, goats were used in a deception for daddy, and a goat was used in a deception for the boy as, as well. Because when they throw Joseph in a pit, they take his coat, which, by the way, is a very colorful coat, and they dip it in a goat's blood and say, oh, dad will probably just think he was killed. We're, we'll be innocent. Interesting. Now, with that, <clears throat> Joseph gets sold off into slavery. Judah has to deal with that. Judah was the one who actually said, we can't kill the guy. He's our brother. Let's sell him. Yeah, that's a good brother. Actually, some of you who have brothers, you probably think, yeah, my brother would have done that for me too. And and as a result of that, what we have now is this one chapter before we get to the story of Joseph that'll be the rest of the book of Genesis. But let me just say, beyond all of the obvious, which is like sort of meanwhile back at the camp, Judah's going to leave those guys. Now, he's tending, he's tending flocks, at least in the last chapter, with the other sons of their same mom. Dad's got four wives. One of those wives is Leah. She has, six, she has a six-pack of those 12 boys. And of those six kids, jo- Judah is going to leave that six, or the other five of them, and that's what we see in this chapter. But let's put things into perspective because it's, we want to know more than, okay, Judah, by the way, the one from whom the Messiah is going to come is going to be this guy. But beyond all of that, there's something profound as I look at this. And it starts with this idea that somewhere down the line, someone sold the son that was God's chosen son. They sold him off. Interesting, they sell him for the price of a slave in the last chapter. Jesus, of course, and we'll find hundreds, literally, literally hundreds of parallels between Joseph and Jesus. Jesus will be sold for the price of a slave. And in Jesus' day, it's 30 pieces of silver, which, by the way, Zachary even prophesies to the coin. You would think if you didn't want to fulfill prophecy and you didn't want Jesus to be the Messiah, you would have given him 31 just to keep it out of the, what the Scripture said. Just the same. So now we have this situation where the son is the, the son that God ordained, God's chosen son, is sold off. And what you really have here is the anatomy of a backslide. Now, let me show you what I mean by that. First of all, in chapter 38, verse 1, it says, It came to pass at that time that Judah departed from his brothers. Now, for whatever it's worth, the brothers were the only Jewish people there were at the time. And, and for what it's worth, Joseph, I'm sorry, Judah left his fellowship in all of that to go and hang out with a guy that was an Adulamite whose name was Hira. Now, Hira, for what it's worth, I mean, it's just kind of a strange thing. By the way, because can you say Hira? Hira, by the way, means to be covered in shame. It means to be shameful or disgraceful. Now, that may sound like the kind of name that who would name their kid that until you start looking at like rap names today. Because when you start looking at rap names, it's, it's sort of like, you know, next thing is like, what's your name? Obnoxious. You know, but with like an X and a 2 and a something else. You know, oh, my name's Obnoxious. You know, what's your, this is my sidekick. What's his name? Noxious. You know, and it's like, you know, what, you know I'm like, I'm MC Terrible. You know, and like, well, and this is my wicked crew. Wicked. And, and I started start looking and I realized that, that particular society, now understand, this Adulamite is a Canaanite. That's where they're from. And so these are people, by the way, that God had already said, they don't know me, they don't love me, they don't want me. And it's pretty clear in their culture. Everything in their culture starts to reflect that. And you can look out and see advertising today and see that. Ooh, this is a temptation. This is decadent. This is... And why is the way... How did the devil get chocolate? Did you notice that? The two things it seems like the devil gets is chocolate and spicy. That ruins my household. When I want to order a good pizza, it's like, can I have the Diavolo? I know what that means. Can we call it angelic? You know, you know what's this? Well, oh, this is hell by chocolate or something, you know? And, and the reason I say that is, is that, you see, it's like the, the advertising, the devil gets credit for those kind of things. And I started looking at this and I realized, it's like, oh, this is so good, it's wicked. And this is so good, it's, you know, it's, the words that are used are words that sound like somebody should go to hell if they ate it. You know, and, and, and but people, you know, some advertising ain't sat down with another guy and went, you know what? Let's see, what's a, what's a term everyone's going to really like? Damnable. Let's try that one. Ooh, the new damnable chocolate. You know, and I was like, yeah, people. And what, what part of us thinks that that's good? And the reason I say this, this guy is that. I mean, his name is shameful. His name is covered with shame. And this is becomes his friend. Hey, you want to be buddies with me? What's your name? Covered in shame. There's a part of you might think, maybe not. There's got to be somebody else. Is there somebody else in time? Well, that's the problem is he's already left his group. Now, granted, his brothers are a bunch of boneheads. We'll grant you that. 
But they're still under a promise. Now listen, do you know what a church is? A church is a collection of a bunch of boneheads that are under a promise. Does that make you feel good about yourself? It makes me feel great because I'm really, I'm a greatly loved bonehead. And I don't have to earn it. If I earned it, I wouldn't have got it. And what does he do next? Verse 2, Judah saw a girl. Mm-mm. And her name, interestingly enough, was Shua. Does that sound close to anything else? Yeshua. Remember, yeah, like Yahweh means God. Shua means Christ for salvation. What an interesting name. Or needs to be saved. What a fun name. He marries her. But she's a Canaanite, which, by the way, is a no-no among the family. If you remember, old Uncle Harry married a bunch of you know, Canaanite women, or well, Hittites and Hivites, and the parents weren't real happy about that. And that's, by the way, would be Judah's grandpa that would be upset. And now Judah looks and he sees some girl out there and she's worshiping other gods and all that. And even her name means needs to be saved. Now, that should tell you something already, shouldn't it? But for some people, that's enough. You know what? She's never going to get saved unless I go out with her. Oh, I'm sorry. I forgot you were Jesus. You really think missionary dating is something you can find in Scripture? It's like, you know what? First of all, she needs to fall in love with me so I can hurt her. And then she could fall in love with Jesus through me. Good luck with that one. (laughs) Scripture says, don't be unequally yoked by an unbeliever. Now, please understand. That doesn't mean you don't reach out to people. It doesn't mean you don't love on them. But what it does mean is that you're not there to capture their heart for you. If this game is capture the flag, you're supposed to be team Jesus, not team you. And all of a sudden, because you know what happens? That's a really hard road to swap over. When all of a sudden, some person goes, wow, I met Jesus through you and you turned out to be a psychopath. Maybe Jesus is a psychopath. And and, and the reason I say that is there are people I love that that became their situation. Was they had to get past the craziness of the person that led them to the Lord. Because there was, I mean, let's face it, once emotion steps in, man, like logic flies out the window. Like you go into a coma when it comes to thinking. And then you have to figure out, how do I bathe all of that out? That's where Judah is. He married her. At least he married her and then went anywhere, which there's something to be said about that. And he has three kids, which, by the way, we'll read that two of them, at least. God said, they're wicked, so I killed them. Right, you know, it got so matter of fact about that, you know. You're like, well, how were they wicked? Could I have a little bit more detail? And you know why God doesn't say how? Because if God had said how, we would say, well, that's the one thing. If you're wicked like that, God will kill you. But if you don't know what that thing is, you'll be a little bit more careful to be wicked in any area. You know what I'm saying? So these are what the names are. The first one, er, which by the way means watchfulness, carefulness, attentiveness. The second name, Onan, the barbarian. And by the way, his name means strength. Vigor, liveliness. And then the third name, Shila, means request or prayer. And I got to tell you, the moment that I started reading this in the Hebrew, the whole thing blew up in my face in the very best of ways. I went, wait a minute, let me see if I have this right. By the way, notice they were born in a place called Chizib in verse 5. Did you see that? That place, by the way, means... They're deception or they're falsified. They're, you know, they're, they're wrongness, they're deception. And so I look at this and I go, wait a minute, let me see if I have this right. Three kids are born, watchfulness and then strength and then prayer. And as these three kids are born, Judah now has pulled himself out of anything that sort of looks like fellowship with his family. And he's gone and he's, he's hanging out now with the world. He's hanging out with this Adulamite. By the way, interesting, we'll, it's the only time the term Adulamite will be used to be of this guy. The term Adulam, on the other hand, we do know because if you remember, David will flee to the cave of Adulam. Those of you who are familiar with David's story. And that's this area, which, by the way, is in the land of Judah. Now, this guy, so he, so he goes and he runs out and he finds this girl and, he, and her name is Needs to be Saved. But he's not busy seeking to actually bring God to her. He's actually instead trying to have product with her instead. 
he's interfacing in a way that they're going to produce a product instead of he's going to pull her to the Lord. And that becomes always the way that sort of works out. And the kids' names, by the way, again, are watchfulness or carefulness, and then there's strength and vigor, and then there's prayer. Now, all of a sudden, something starts to happen because now we start looking for positive fruit of all this. What's the fruit of all this connection? I'll tell you what happens. Is that he finds this particular gal. Is it's time to see what happens with these boys. And the first one dies. And what's the first one's name? Watchfulness. And let me just say this. Let's say you were at one point and I love his name, Judah. This is how this whole thing starts. Praise. That's where it starts. Let's just say that that's the part of you that just loves God. The part that doesn't need a song to sing. Does that make sense? Now, maybe some of you are at that point right now. Maybe some of you were at that point. When praise was something that came out of your lips, whether a song was playing. We were excited the name of Jesus meant something. I mean, it stirred your heart just to hear the name. I mean, prayer was something you knew you were going to annoy people because you were going to go on forever, but you didn't even care that other people are going to, you can hear, say amen, right? But you didn't care because you were just, you were just one big praise. That's what you were. And you irritated people who were complacent. You excited people who loved Jesus. Other people looked at you and said, that, that's what I want to be. I want to be that. That's what I want to be. And people looked and went, man, that's it. That's it. That's what a Christian should look like. And then what happened? I smell something cooking on the other side of the world. Decided stepping out of fellowship a little bit. So you guys look at, I'm busy. I got work more. Now, I don't, want, I, I don't want to get tight on all that, but the bottom line is we all know what it's like where we can convince ourselves that everything we're saying makes perfect sense to us. Perfect sense. Because we forgot that we really need each other. But, you, you know, and we could say, well, my brothers are messed up. God says, yeah, welcome to the family. You fit in just fine. But they're just a bunch of boneheads. God says, yeah, 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 they are. So are you. Did you forget that? You were the one who just sold over my chosen son in the last chapter. You sold him over. Why? Because he said, well, yeah, I'm not going to really kill him. Well, I mean, I couldn't do that. That would be very unchristian to kill Jesus. like that. But I can trade him. I could trade him for something. Isn't that what selling is? Is just trading something for something you think is more valuable? Isn't that what trading is? Isn't that what selling is? I'm going to trade him. Trade him for what? It doesn't matter. Is there anything you could possibly trade Jesus for that will be more valuable? For a mate. I'm still single. And if I stay this kind of Christian, I might die single. Excuse me, you are engaged to the king of kings. You really think for a moment you're going to trade up to find some poor sap that's going to fill those shoes? Good luck with that. Well, I just know I could really get ahead if, if what? You put Jesus somewhere else? You know what happens? What happens is it starts with, well, I, I don't want to be around you guys because I feel weird around you now. Because I think you know. I'm playing the game. I'm trying to let you know how on fire I am for Jesus. But it's all on the outside because the only, the only thing, you know, like you ever have this where you're trying to light the coals in a barbecue, but you pour the, the kind of fluid on the top, and the only thing that's really going to start is going to be the fluid on the top. And you watch it, and you're like, wow, that was really neat. Let's do it again. And you kind of do that. That's what church is. You just kind of pour the oil on the outside for a moment. Because really, the bottom line is the only thing that's burning is surface. So you're like, well, I, I, I feel like a hypocrite by pretending like that in front of people. So I'm just going to back off a little bit. And back off. And you know what? And at that moment, I can tell you a hundred reasons why, and they're all perfect reasons as far as I'm concerned. I'm just, nah, I don't need to be a part of this right now. Not as much. You know, I don't want to do that overboard thing. Chill out a little bit. Chill out. You were on fire. You want to chill out? So what happens? The first thing that starts happening is as I'm backing off and I'm crawling into the world, is my carefulness and my watchfulness dies. That's the first thing that happens. No, I'm a lot less careful. You're single, and all of a sudden you're like, wow, 
that was really close with that person that I barely knew. Wow, I never gotten that far on the internet before. Wow, where did all that money go? So is this what a hangover feels like? Wow, who's that? What am I doing here? How did I get here? Well, I got here because I, because watchfulness died. The stuff that at one point you'd be like, hey, no way I'm going to do that. And people knew that. They looked at you and said, check it out. Someone actually has a spine now. Now things are a little less, well, there's no carefulness left. He died. And then you go, well, for some of us, that's enough. For some of us, that's enough. A slap in the face. You go, oh, I really should, I, I need to change. And, and you know what? You'll know it right away. <coughs> but what if you don't? What's the next thing that dies? What was the second son? Do you remember what his name is? Hold on. Do you remember what that means? Strength. Strength. Vigor. Oh, you guys, this is the part that hurts for me, sincerely. And I watch people and they get careless. But if you get careless and as a result of that, you get smacked up the head and that says, all right, you're right. I need to get serious about Jesus. And that's where it goes. I'm, not, I'm sad for the choices you made, but I'm happy for the results. Does that make sense? But you watch the person because they were full of joy. They're not anymore. And you can't fake that. You can't fake joy. You can fake happiness. Just pretend that something good's happening. But real joy comes out when you have nothing to be happy about. And to be honest... People are, in the world are dying to see joy. I'm sincere. Because they know that we preach that we have something they don't. And they will never see it until those hard times come. Well, of course you're happy. Look at all you have. Isn't that the same accusation that Satan gave to God about Job? Look at all he's got. If he didn't have all this, he'd curse you to your face. He doesn't have anything different than anyone else. Friends, please hear me. Please, please hear me. I hate to watch this. Because I watch people grow old in the worst of ways. And sometimes I watch it in less than a month. Sometimes I watch it in less than a week. And I hate it. I hate it. Because the worst part is, I could stare that person straight in the face and say, you know who you were. And you could look me straight back and go, I'm fine. And go, stop lying to yourself. And you're weak. And you wonder how you got into bondage to internet pornography or how you're drinking all the time or how you have to be in a relationship now or you're constantly even just watching movies or playing Xbox or whatever just to try to escape your reality that one time was something you told other people they should be a part of. Let me just say, it all started because you traded in the sun for something you thought was more valuable. And now look at where you're at. You're weak. You're weak. You were, the joy of the Lord was your strength. Now you're weak. People looked at you and said, there's a strong person for Christ. Now you're weak. You feel oppression in places before you walked in and said, it's going to flee when you walked in the room. And now you feel it when you walk in the room. You feel that you, get, you become timid and you, you, you get this and you realize, wow, this is a spooky place. Spooky was in a word in your vocabulary a month ago. You pity the demon, not because you were one of those crazy people that just thought you were going to go and smack every one of them with your coat, but because you knew that Jesus lived inside of you and pity the thing that tried to take on your landlord. And now look at by the way, it doesn't say here that strength went into a coma. It says strength died. But here's the most amazing part. The third son didn't die, did he? He just wasn't given over, right? You see, you know what happens? Watchfulness dies. Strength dies. And then prayer just isn't given over anymore. Because now that you have no reason to pray, right? You have every reason to pray, but why do you want to talk to God? He's probably angry. He's probably frustrated. 
Oh, you didn't think you'd find that in this chapter, did you? Judah's in bad shape. Lo and behold, what in the world happens? This girl realizes there's a, I mean, she goes back to the house. That's what we read here. And when she goes back to this house, she goes dressed like a widow, but waiting like an engaged person, waiting like a fiance. Because what the dad said was, dad's Judah, wait until my, my youngest boy is old enough. My, my two older boys have both been married. By the way, it's interesting. He throws out this whole Everett marriage thing, which we're not going to even find until actually the book of Deuteronomy in its most specific sense. There are all kinds of laws, 40-something, 46-something laws or something like that, that are going to be acted out before God even puts them into print. And that's one of them. He goes, you know what? Your, your brother's dead. You should, you should go and have a baby by her and name him after your brother so that he can, his lineage can, can go on. And then, you know, she's your wife from that point on. And the second son, he's just strength, right? He looks and he goes, man, no way. Look at all this stuff I have. If I have that, I'm going to, what, I'm, like my inheritance is going to go to this guy. He's not even going to be my son. Fat chance I'm going to do that. So he emits on the ground. Which, by the way, what that tells me is what strength did was he used this poor girl for pleasure, but for no responsibility to her. Did you see that? Oh, he'll take her. And by the way, in the Hebrew, the whole idea is he did it over and over and over again. And this is more than, and I'm just going to go out right out and say, you know, some people say, well, there it is. There's masturbation in Scripture. Look at it, and there it is, and God's going to strike you dead. Well, by the way, lust, that should be enough. God has already spelled it out. Clearly in this situation, the whole point of it is this guy is using this girl for his pleasure, but he has a responsibility he's not willing to take with her, which, by the way, is the entire society we live in. There's no responsibility to each other. We barely even call each other partners now. So you know what? Well, I don't know. We're just physically involved. Well, are you boyfriend or girlfriend? I don't know. And I've heard someone say, well, why buy the cow when you get the milk for free? You know, why would you commit? And in all of that, beloved, this guy is using this girl. And what would it be like to be Tamar? You were married to a guy and God killed him. Now, we don't read that dad, Judah, recognized that God killed him. We only know that Judah sees his son dead. We don't even know how. Then what would you think? Well, that's a strange situation. My son just died. I'll marry her off to the second son. And then he dies. You know, we're thinking, what, what is she cooking? What is she, I mean, we don't know if he knows, right? All we know is that he recognizes his, okay, the, the, his equation is, hand a son to this girl, he dies. Why didn't God kill him before they married her? Because we get to see the heart of Judah in this. So Judah says, fat chance he's getting number three. Well, by the way, he will have another son after this, by the way. We recognize that. So these aren't the only sons he'll have. But at this point, he's got three. And he looks and says, I need at least one boy. I mean, that's, that's now, now we're going up a line. That's Judas. Judas saying, I'm going to lose my lineage. If this boy dies, I have no one left. Which, by the way, would be a really weird thing because the Messiah is going to come through Judah. He's got to have a son somewhere and to have that happen. So he lies to the girl too. I mean, if the first guy was wicked, I don't know how he treated Tamar, but it couldn't have been good. By the way, notice that, ladies. God saw the guy was wicked and he took care of him. Notice that. Now, maybe you're thinking, my husband's not very nice. I hope he kills him too. But no, you know, you should pray for forgiveness is what you should pray. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. But in that, he's dead. Second son, he's like sort of married and sort of not, just using her, and God takes care of that too. And then she, so she gets, in essence, used by the first two guys, and then she gets used by the father-in-law who says, hey, you just sit in tight, lady, don't worry. And so she comes back and goes back into dad's house dressed like a widow, but yet dressed like a widow, she's still acting like an engaged person because, and she's got to be telling her friends. Hey, you're back home. How come you're back home? Weren't you married? Yeah, sort of twice. Well, what happened to your first husband? He died. What happened to the second husband? He died. Oh, okay. So, now what happened? I mean, we just spent time this morning at a prison, and you start realizing, they're like, yeah, a lot of these people are here for murder, and you're like, oh, cool. All right. Cool. Jesus, that's what they need. They need Jesus. And, of course... Well, 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 why are you here? Well, don't worry. I've got, number three is on the way. 
You just got to get a little older. Does that sound a little weird to you? By the way, traditionally, men were, in some cases, twice the age of the girls they married in that culture. It's not often that a man finds an older woman of any age, sweetheart. I love you anyway. The, I'll pay for that later. You know, don't worry. He'll get old enough sooner or later. He'll get old enough? Old enough. Now, we don't know how many years pass, but before the... When the Chapter began, this guy didn't have any sons at all, and two of them were old enough to get married. That tells you how long the chapter's been. By the third boy, and finally the boy gets old enough, and somewhere down the line, she's got to come to on this. By the way, that means there's a lot of time that goes in between that. And she goes, this ain't happening, is it? This isn't happening. How would you feel? Would you not feel used, cheated, betrayed? Well, you should. You were. And we read, they said to him, we don't even know who they are. You know, and those people, they say, well, you know what they say. It's probably them, whoever the they are. They say, hey, your father-in-law is shearing sheep. Now, please understand, she's been married twice. She has no children. In that culture, that is the ultimate shame. People going, you know, because what basically in that culture, and I'm not saying it's right. I'm not even saying God certainly doesn't say he endorses it. But the idea is, if you didn't have children, what did you do to make God that angry with you? That was the idea. Two husbands. Not only do you not, I mean, God killed both your husbands and you have no children. Are you sure it was God who killed your husband? Think of the shame. What would it be like going to the Tesco? And all of a sudden, when you walk down the produce aisle, someone's going, and you know they're talking about you. I'm not talking about you're like, naturally paranoid. I'm talking about they really are talking about you. Not like someone pointed at a lemon and went, that's fresh, and he was, stop, what, stop, why'd you talk to me like that? No, it's the lemon. <laughs> and they talk about you, and you're like, and you realize, what am I doing, just sitting home? This needs to change. Something's got to happen. And they say, hey, that father-in-law of yours, the one that cheated you out, He's going to share his sheep. We all know that's the happiest time of the year because all oh, that's when all the people bring their harvest and everyone celebrates and people drink a lot. Your father-in-law's going to get drunk. But after all, he's hanging out with an Adulamite who's going to go try to pay a prostitute as a, as a favor. That tells you what kind of friends he's keeping. Why don't you take matters in your own hands? She could have tried to get the other third son drunk, but let's face it, we don't read that he was wicked. Oh, but, but there is this, this, this father-in-law. He seems like he's game for it. So she sits on the side of the road and covers up everything but her eyes. It's sort of the traditional idea of that. That's why you'll see, in, for instance, in Proverbs, where a girl allures someone with her eyes because it's the only part she has left that's showing. And she's like, hey. And she's sitting there. And by the way, we don't even read that she calls him over. That tells you what kind of condition Judah is in at this point. That he's at the place where, as simple as we can put it, he's involved in harlotry. Which, by the way, is exactly what God calls when you run after. Which, by the way, exactly what God calls what happened to you spiritually the moment you traded Jesus in for something else. And he goes, now you're seeing physically what happened to your heart that started this whole thing. And that's usually the way it works. You planted it with your heart, and now it's just bearing forth fruit. God says, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. You reap what you sow. You're going to plant it. It's going to be strange. If you plant apple seeds, it would be really strange to get a peach out of that. If you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap destruction. Destruction. And this guy's at the place now where he just looks and he sees the girl and he's hoping she's a harlot. It's not even harlot's corner. He just sees a girl and like, there's a girl on the side of the road. She's covered up everything but her eyes. Let's just check out just to see. And I tell you what, there are nights when we go out and we're sharing Jesus with people. And you watch. I mean, because granted, the dress is a little different. But in Camden, 
that's just so normal. And guys, some guys will just start walking up and checking just in case. Which, by the way, if a guy comes up to you and asks you if you're for sale, you might want to rethink your wardrobe choices. That's my attitude. But but with that in mind, you know, and you kind of realize they're, they're guys, they're just, that's just all they are, man. They're breathing that. And because they're breathing that, that's in their spirit at that point. They're just looking and they're just hoping that they're going to, man, I hope I find someone out there. And it, it isn't even like they look and said, wow, she's cute. All they saw was her eyes at best. She might have been completely covered up. How does he even know she's a girl? You can hope. And he looks and goes, hey, you open for business? You think he'd recognize her voice. That's how completely, how convoluted he is at this point. But you know what? You see pictures of, of people that seem so popular and so rich. I mean, some of you remember when there were some movie stars from around here that wound up falling with some prostitutes. And if you're anything like me, I don't know why it is, you look and the first thing you look and go, her? Oh, come on. He could have gotten a prettier prostitute than that. I mean, how sad is that? But the guy, gets, you get so consumed away, whatever your sin is, that all of a sudden, everything else goes out the window, whatever it is. She wouldn't have gone out with a guy remotely like that. But now she's with this guy and he beats her because she has gotten so wasted on what she's about now that she'll take anything. And this is anything. And by the way, when you drop to anything, anything will show up. Anything's never good. And then you want to go, hey, you need out of this. But half of their heart's still with this person that's beating them. And you're like, you need out. But I love them. Love him enough to get out. Now he's looking and he sees this girl and he goes, hey, you open for a business? And she goes, what you got? And he says, a goat? She goes, I don't see a goat. What you're going to give me is collateral. And I go, ooh. Let me tell you the product, man. We just saw our carefulness walk out. We saw our carefulness die. We watched our strength die. We're no longer offering prayer. And we become now product of harlotry. And this becomes the next step. How far does it have to go before you say, you're right, I need, I need out of this. What does he give her? Three things. Three things. By the way, I hope you recognize they're infinitely more valuable than a goat is. He could have gone somewhere else and bought a goat and brought it back. But he's so consumed in the moment. And that's what happens in those moments. He gets so consumed in the moment. You don't think. How do people get AIDS? They don't think. When they're playing like that. These are odds you really want to step in. I want your signet ring. Signet ring. That's my authority. That's the thing that allows me to buy anything anywhere. That's my debit card. That's what it is. Now, can you imagine, and hopefully you can't, imagine that you're walking near some girl and you say, oh, are you a prostitute? I'm hoping you're a prostitute. She goes, well, what you got? And you're like, I've got, I don't know, I'll give you something. She's like, well, do you have it with you? No. Give me your debit card. Give me your credit card. You're like, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give me your credit card. But see, that signet ring was a lot more, or that actually was worn like a pendant. That signet was a whole lot more than just your ability to buy something. Your name was on that. That means anything that that was sealed on was your name. Talk about identity theft. You handed your identity. You handed your identity to this person. Do what you want with it. All I want to you for this moment, even though I don't even know who you are. She's like, you know me better than you think. But give me your cord too. Notice that was the second thing. Now that cord, by the way, spoke of your wealth. Because that cord, now what you wore your signet on showed what kind of person, what value, what kind of person is. And by the way, the wealthiest of men wore gold. Not like, not, not, I mean, not like Mr. T, but what they did is they had this sort of band, and that band had a, had a whole strand of gold that was interwoven around it with what else you wore. And by the way, you didn't do this just because what you were trying to do was get bling bling and impress people. This said you were somebody in the community. You just gave that up. Then your staff, your staff. Judy, you're a shepherd. Remember last chapter? You were a shepherd last chapter. 
You were watching, you were washing your, your, your sheep, hello, and, and in that you went from the area of Shechem, which you shouldn't have been in, to Dothan, because Dothan was one of the most well-watered green areas. You actually made a good choice for your sheep, and you left all of that, and all of that purpose and your identity that was in that staff, and you handed it to this girl? How long have you had that staff? What would that be like? Take my guitars. Take my passport. Take my credit cards and debit card. Sure, take my name and do whatever you want with it. Just give me you for the moment. Look at what just happened to Judah. He just surrendered his authority. He surrendered all of his prosperity, if I dare use such a word. He surrendered his purpose in his identity for a half hour of pleasure. That's where it goes. And then they're in the gutter. Don't think that there aren't ex-pastors in gutters arrested for child pornography, beat to death in a bar brawl. I think I... I I'd like to tell you I've seen it all, but every time I say that, something new pops up. So let me just say, I don't think there's any holes barred. And the reason I say that is, it, there's just no one. There, within every one of us, if we don't realize, within every one of us lies that if we allow it to. Then we will actually, well, there's got to be that point you realize, well, God, I don't want to just think about, well, maybe the next step won't be so bad. It's already bad. You know, it's already 40 degrees outside. Stepping here will be 42 degrees. I know that I'm going to burn if I keep going in this direction, but I don't want to think about what happens four steps from now. I'm just going to go, it's really miserable, and I'm going to get a little bit more miserable. God says, how long does this have to go? On the other side of that, God could have at this moment said, we're done. With harlotry, what does God do? He gives us the book of Hosea and shows us what happens when a man marries a prostitute. And and he gives her every, listen, he gives her every reason to stay. And she runs out anyways. And he has to buy her back for half the price of a slave. She's not even worth the price of a slave. And God says, now you know how I feel. I gave you every reason to stay. I covered you in love. I gave you anything you could possibly need. But you'll always find a want beyond that. Does that make sense? He goes, you don't, what did you do? So you know what you did? You ran off to find your lovers. And I could have just said, well, we're done. And God says, no, I'm going to buy you back anyways. Because when I said I do, I meant it. That's the bottom line. I meant it. Praise God, he meant it. The difference is when God means it, he means it for good. When we mean it, we mean it for the moment. Does that make sense? And it got to this point now where we have no authority, where we have no anything left. We don't even have our identity. We don't even know who we are anymore. And at that point, you think, wow, this is a miserable thing. But that's not how it ends. She's going to have twins. And I think twins. How would that sound to this boy, Judah? Because to Judah, his dad was a twin. Do you remember that? And it was interesting because with his dad being a twin, and some of you remember this well, there was a promise. And the promise was that the older will ultimately con- will be, will concede to the younger. The younger is going to win. And Judas had to watch dad as the older, Jacob, conniver, walk through things and had to wrestle with God and will ultimately concede to the Israel God's making him to be. Do you realize that's exactly what he's about to watch happen now? Two children are born. They're twins, just like dad's story. Of the two twins, a hand comes out. Hi, and back in it goes. That's got to be a strange pregnancy. But it's out long enough for a gal to find a scarlet thread and tie it on him. Hand goes back in. And then... Out comes breakthrough baby. Whoa, where's the... Th- you're another baby. You're not the... I didn't... Where's the ribbon I tied? You're not the one. 
And I think, remember when the last twins we saw, one boy was going out and there was a hand grabbing the heels of, don't you come, come in first. And now we see, strangely enough, kind of the same thing. Now, the older is the one with the, with the thread. Would that make sense? The younger is the one that broke through. And it will be Perez, which means breakthrough, that will parent Jesus. The younger is going to win again. The older one, by the way, his name means brings enlightenment, brings clarity or hope. Now think about this. We have a guy that's fallen through all of this. What's the difference? We go back to the younger. We go back to the son. We go back to the son. What happens? That will be real enlightenment. And there will be breakthrough. And might I just say to you, everyone in this room needs breakthrough. Now that word gets to be all kinds of weird things today. People will say, you're poor? Get ready for your financial breakthrough. But if I tell you what, if you're going to get in getting richer, you're going to run away from God, why would he give you another pent? The most important thing to God is your relationship with him. And he knows what that's going to take. And I'll be honest, if you would rather be closer to God in your sickness, why would he want you well? Well, that sounds like a God who wants me sick. No, that's just the God who wants you. I like to pray, God... Could I love you the most, wealthy and well? (laughs) Well, anyways, you get the idea. God says, careful how you pray that. Lord, I, I, I really... What if we wanted God as much as he wanted us? Could you imagine what that would be like? That'd be a crazy thought. See... Understand, let me ask you, would you rather be wanted or needed by someone? Think about that. In my opinion, I would rather be wanted because needed comes with responsibility. But to be wanted means someone had a choice. I wasn't necessary, but I was desired. Can I just say this? God doesn't need you. And he doesn't need me. He doesn't need your money. He doesn't need your talents or your skills or your great brains or your good looks or your social giftings or whatever. He doesn't need it. He doesn't need you and he doesn't need me. That's all the more reason why it's amazing that he died on the cross. It'd be one thing to die on the cross because he needed more people and that's the only way he could get them. But could you imagine needing us? How sad and sorry would that condition be? You're thinking, I came here for self-esteem. I'm here to give you God-esteem. Let me tell you what, God loves you so much that he died on the cross anyways. Because he wants you. Not because he needs you. And that's the breakthrough we need. Have you accepted that gift of Jesus Christ? Because if you haven't accepted that gift, what are you trying to do to be right with God? Your works, your efforts, do you really think that compares to what Jesus did on the cross? Friends, look at What have you traded him in for? What, what are you getting? Is it really a trade-up? I'd like to pray for every one of you, and me too, for breakthrough today. That God would bring, in order, Enlightenment. And I think that's what he's done in this last 45 minutes. And then he brings breakthrough. Well, you know what it takes? Whatever you swap came with a receipt. And you can trade back right now. You can lay it at the feet of Jesus and say, Jesus, could you be everything, please? Because whatever it is isn't worth it anymore. It never was, but it it really isn't. And it isn't like I'm doing this because I want my joy back. I want my strength back. Because what you'll find is, according to Joel 2, he'll even give you what's been eaten away. Could you imagine if when Landon gets back on that piano and you start to praise, God puts joy back in you like the joy that you romanticized you used to have? Peace that even in the craziest of situations you could have? Hope. Not just, I hope I make it through this day. That's not hope. But the word hope, by the way, elpis, means to anticipate with pleasure. You see a kid and like they spend the whole day doing this because it's something they're looking forward to. What if our whole life was like that? Which should be. I know him better. 
should be. Where God would put us back at that place where other people look and go, now that's a strong guy. And that's not what we do it. That's just the product of being right. Would you pray with me? Lord, I want to thank you so much for what you've revealed in this chapter. I do confess to you, Lord, that there are times, it just seems like there is never a moment where I I don't have a challenge to trade you in for something. It's never better. But Lord, I recognize that even just who's here today, that we're in fellowship. But Lord, outside this door right here is deception, the land of deception, and shame, like this Adulamite. And God, I recognize today that that shame gets marketed as pleasure. Filth gets marketed as freedom. Lord, take away any desire I would have for any of it. But Lord, replace that with a passion for you. Jesus, that my life would be Jesus, 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 Jesus. That's what it would be. Because you satisfy. You fulfill. You fill abundantly. And God, I just, I pray right now, please, for my precious family here. God, I pray that you would allow our hearts to be broken enough that we don't even care about the person next to us. We just need to be right. And I'm going to do something brave here. Look, you know where you're at. But if you cannot boldly proclaim Christ in this room among family, where in the world do you think you can? And I'm asking for honesty here, genuine honesty. Remember, your walk's not where it should be, but you want it to be. You have too many Adulamite friends. You've wound up marrying the world. Your strength is gone. Your watchfulness is gone. Your strength is gone. Your prayer life stinks. You say, well, I prayed. As if it's a box to tick. When you recognize today, things need to change. Well, then the first step would be changing your mind. And if you want to stand with me right now, I'm going to ask for you just to bravely, don't worry about the person next to you or what anyone else is going to think but the Lord. And if you today just want to stand with me, I ask you to take a stand. And what we're saying is, Lord, I want you to be everything. And I, I want you to change where I'm at at the moment. I want, to be more, I want to be completely engulfed in you. So go ahead right now. If that's you, just, just go ahead and stand with me. Lord, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for those who are sitting because there isn't a need perhaps to change. And Lord, I want to thank you for those who are standing right now because they recognize their their need for that change. And I just pray right now, Lord, for every brother and sister in this room. Lord, I pray right now that you would restore to us the joy of our salvation. That you would create in us a clean heart that you would renew a right spirit within us. Lord, we don't want to be any farther from the joy of your presence. We want to be engulfed in you. Lord, we recognize that may mean some great changes need to take place. Relationships need to be changed. Value systems need to be changed. Situations need to be changed. God, I I confess to you that there will be some of us in this room, we have put ourselves in a place where we just don't even have the strength to see that change come about without you doing it. So God, we are giving you permission right now to jump in and do it. So please, would you do that, please? Jump in right now, God, please. 
change what needs to be changed, that we could hold on to you. And, and as much as we need you, Lord, can it be because we want you? So that you can delight, Lord, in our desire to love you more. And so, Lord, we just say, here we are, we're yours. We're yours. Please, Lord. And I'm not asking you to restore what we once were. I'm asking you to make us greater than we ever been so that we never put ourselves any less again. So, Lord, I pray right now. Put us right where you want us, deep in your arms, we pray, as we surrender to you in your will, in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Lord, one last thing. If there be any in this room who have not said yes to you and, and they know they, maybe they're not even sure, but they can walk out of here sure. Just show them by the power of your spirit right now. And if that's you, I want to pray this prayer and I ask you to listen. And at the end of it, if you agree, I simply ask you to say a resounding amen. And what you're saying is, I agree, so be it. Let those words be my words. And here it is. God, I confess to you I'm a sinner. I'm not perfect. And I know that you punished all my sin on the cross of your son, Jesus the Christ, who died for me so that I could be his and that I could be washed of my filth. And so, Jesus, I believe you died for me and you paid the penalty of my sin. And then you rose again just like you promised, just like your word promised. And with that, you offer me new life. And so I say yes to your gift. And I say, yes, have me now. I am yours. Father, take me as your own. I belong to you. In Jesus' name. And if you agree, I ask you to say, amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the honor of being able to go through the word with you. The privilege of being able to just enjoy Jesus with you. And the sheer delight of being your pastor.